the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Those are verses 6 and 7 of Psalm, or Psalm of Exodus 34, the passage which we're considering during this season of Advent 2020. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are looking at this passage in order that we could see uh, what the Jews find to be 13 different attributes of God's mercy. Um, and the reason that we're doing it is very simple, and that is, is that I realize that, that my own vocabulary for praise isn't all that great. And so I've, I thought, well, if I, if I at least study these attributes, then, I, then I'll have a bunch of reasons to praise him. And I'll be better at that in my prayers because it's an important part of our prayers and should be an important part of our prayers. So today where we are is it, we're going to do three all at once. And, and it's because there's, there's really not any great reason to do three separate ones because these are all related to one another. We're looking at the statement of that he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Those are the, uh, the, the, the traits that we're going to look at today. And it's an interesting thing. They consider these three separate traits, that he forgives iniquity, he forgives transgression, and he forgives sin. So those things are all different, and they, at some level, the, the vocabulary there, the Jewish vocabulary for it is different, are different for those sins, and I'll explain that in a little bit. And so there would be a forgiveness of iniquity, forgiveness of transgression, and forgiveness of sin, and those are all distinct from one another because they each have independent attributes, the, the words themselves do. So the... In the Gemara, in the in the uh, Jewish Talmud, they, they find these groupings of um, iniquity and transgression and sin in a couple of different places in exactly that order, and and th- so they they say, okay, this is what this is, and, and they explain these these differences and distinctions between those three words. Are they a distinction without a difference? No, they're not. They're actually important. Um, so what's interesting is is that that in most confessions in most Jewish confessions you move from the lightest offense to the gravest offense when you confess so you confess quote minor sins first and and more major sins later and and I recognize that sin is sin but at the same time some sins literally are more egregious than others even to God and there are reasons that you can say that and that is is that everything didn't have the same penalty so it's clear that some things are worse than other things. And so the last thing in this list, sin, is um, it's actually unintentional sin is what's under consideration there. These things are—the first ones are, are willful sins. They're, they're intentional, the first one is, and the second one is an, is an act of rebellion. So that's a—so iniquity is an intentional sin, a transgression— is a rebellion against God's authority or, or a denial of God's authority. And then the final thing is sort of a, a, an unintentional violation of the law. So that's the reason these things are in this order. We have to figure out, okay, so if confessions normally go in the other order, why do these go in sort of descending order? And one of the reasons is, is that we're, we're looking at a movement away from the person— 
because everything else that we've studied so far and looked at so far has to do with the individual. It has to do with how do you deal with the individual and how how does the individual continue to live? And this is the grace that allows human beings to exist on the planet because of sin. So the Lord's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, these are all personal things. These are interpersonal things, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And now this is moving towards um, the, the, the definite things. The sin itself is what's under consideration here. And so the, the question then becomes that, that God has to forgive these things because otherwise they would remain with us and they would pollute us. It, not only does he make the, the way for us to, to be restored to fellowship with him, he, he forgives these things in order that we can continue to live and we can come to a place of repentance and the world not be entirely polluted by our sin. Now, here's the first thing to know, that the word that's translated forgiving— actually doesn't mean that. <laughs> this is the second or third time that I've had to say this in this series, and it's, it's not uncommon, frankly, that we have to do this. The word here actually means bear or carry, and, and it's the Lord who is the one who is bearing our iniquities, our transgressions, and our sins. Does that sound at all familiar to you? It's the means by which they are forgiven but it's the bearing of the sins in his person that's under consideration here. It's not just forgiving in the sense of, okay, I'll just look away from it. No, it's an active thing that God does. And I know that forgiving is an active thing, and it's a choice, but but this lays the sin essentially on God so that he can do something to remove the sin and the stain. So the first thing there is the the idea of iniquity, and those are intentional violations. And what happens with an intentional violation is is that that they see it as it damages goodness in the world. They ruin goodness itself. The world is less good than it was, and even the person himself as a a complete world of his own is less good. And then the second thing is, is that they're acts of rebellion, the Peshahim. Those are acts of rebellion against God's kingship. And that's exactly what it, what it represents. It, is a, it, it adversely affects God's kingship, not in the heavens now and in both those things. There's an absolute good and there's an absolute kingship, but it has to do with God's kingship on earth. And so what they ask for is to neutralize the harmful impact of sin. So it's not confession, per se, with this. And so what happens is God takes these things, takes the the iniquities and transgressions, and he transforms them into the final category of sin, which is an unintentional thing. And in, in doing so, what he does then is he lessens their severity and their impact on the world and on his kingship. And so he lessens that thing in order that then we can come to a place of repentance. So without evil intent, there's no harm caused to God's goodness or to his kingship. But So these first two categories represent intentional shots at goodness and kingship. And so God bears these things in himself to a place where it transcends 
the imminent, the, the, the physical world. So God bears the harmful effects of those sins in his person and bears them away from the world so that the world is not polluted by all these sins. And so the, the way that they see it is, is that, that in the world of creation, every misdeed harms the Shekinah glory of God in creation. It diminishes that glory in some way. And John gets at that when he says the darkness has not fully overcome the light in the prologue to his gospel. That's exactly what he's talking about. That light can't be overcome, and Jesus is bringing new light into the world. And the way that he does that is by bearing away the sins of the world, taking them out of here, and transforming us into those who can be truer image bearers by giving us his Holy Spirit with which to do that. So Jesus bears these sins away in exactly the same way that they're speaking about here, but it's in the person of Jesus, as opposed to God doing some magic that only he understands that diminishes the value of sin or the the harm of sin, let's say, by making it something smaller than it really is. And, And we're, that's not What's honest at one level, but but what's really honest is if I don't see God doing that, if I do see God taking the horror of my sin and changing it and transforming it by his glory, by his death on the cross, he transformed my sin and shame into his glory. So it's not just playing little word games and God making something a less big deal than it was. No, what he does is set us free entirely by taking those things on himself and bearing the weight of my sin that I cannot bear myself. And so he takes these things on himself and he bears it away because his goodness can't be harmed. His kingship can't be diminished. Those things just are. And that's exactly the situation that you see when Jesus heals people, right? So, so God's goodness can't be diminished by human sin, but, but the world can be. And so he takes it into a different realm and transforms it. Here what happens is Jesus comes and does these things on the earth, Right? So what happens is, is that, that he bears all that in himself, and he transforms it in real time and does so visibly. And, and here's the way I would say that. Is, is that, that. So lepers, for instance, if you touched a leper or a leper touched you, then his sickness was transferred to you. You went from being neutral to now being unclean. So because of that, so what happens when Jesus heals is transformation occurs. That one who was unclean becomes clean. And the one who touched him to affect that transformation remains clean. That's Jesus. And so he's not affected by that. He transformed the sin and, and we believe that leprosy is connected to sin. And the reason we believe that, I've said this before, is because that not only did they have to go and be inspected by the priest, they also had to make a sin offering for that. We see that again when Jesus heals the man whose friends let him down through the roof at Peter's mother's house. When they let him down, Jesus does what? He says, your sins are forgiven. 
and they're, they're outraged. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, well, which is harder? To say your sins are forgiven, to say rise, stand up, and walk. And he tells him to stand up and walk. Well, the, he, the forgiveness was the predicate for the healing. It was necessary for the healing to occur. The man's soul had to be healed before his body could be healed. And so he did it in that order. And so the, the last thing that, we, that they look at is these unintentional sins. What is the damage of the unintentional sin? So the willful sin, the first one, the iniquity, that has da- it damages the good in the world. The second one, transgression or rebellion, damages God's kingship in the world. Both those are in the world. And the unintentional ones damage your soul. There's a damage that happens to you. It ruins the divine image. And we would all agree, absolutely, that that's true. And it's got to be dealt with. That part has to be dealt with. So how does God do that? And he bears that in himself. He By connecting, by choice, God joins that himself to us and, and then it says that sanctity of the soul can be ruined, but if the Almighty connects a person's soul with a divine soul above, colon, semicolon, if he once again blows a fresh soul of life into man's nostrils, then man will be renewed as a living creature. What is it that Jesus does the first time that he appears to the disciples after the resurrection? He breathes on them and says, receive my spirit. And then what does he say? Then he speaks about the forgiveness of sins. Whatever you say, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What do you loose on earth is, is loosed in heaven. So that, now, they have divine spirit to do this same thing, to forgive. It's an unbelievable thing that Jesus does in that moment by breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, and then links that with their ability going forward to determine what sins are and how those sins are forgiven. And so God connects with us by breathing that soul, having breathed that soul into us at our creation, he changes the context by, by making that bound up with him. My soul is bound up with him in, in the center with the divine throne of glory, which is exactly the work of Jesus in interceding at the throne and saying, I'll take that. And that's exactly what this whole process looks like in Judaism, is God saying, I'll take the the pain and the punishment of that into myself, and then I will transcend it and make it go away. It's absolutely an unbelievable way of looking at this when we see it, and, and and it's God taking on this work, and they believe that it's, it's similar to going down into a mikvah, into a bath, being baptized, being cleansed for us, and coming up. Because God protects all those things. What's he protecting? His glory. His glory. He's protecting his goodness manifested in the world. He's protecting his divine kinship, kingship, and he's protecting the individual sinner in these things. And so so he he takes these things into himself and they dissipate in that way and they are gone. And we see exactly that process is what we understand happens at the cross. And ongoing, he lives to intercede for us at the throne of God. 
It's an absolutely amazing thing that God's able to do, but this is not, as I said, it's not just forgiving sin. That's the ultimate effect, is the forgiveness of iniquity and transgression and sin. But the way that he does it, the way they understand the mechanism, is exactly what Jesus plays out on the cross, and that is he bears our sins in himself and cleanses us and makes us new. And that's exactly the way they see it, that sin is a stain, and what happens then is the stain remains, but the sin doesn't harm the person himself. We know the sin happened, but God bears away the effect of that sin. Now, that's not the same yet as atonement, because atonement requires repentance. We're talking now about God's mercy shown in the world, that, that he takes these things and he, he diminishes their effect that they would otherwise have on goodness, his kingship, and finally the human soul. And he allows it so that we can get to a place where we can repent and run at full spiritual capacity. And, and to appropriate the work of God, and that these things are the work of God, to appropriate that and bring it into our lives, we go through this process called repentance, where we confess our sins, we recognize them as sin, we, we agree with God, and then we turn away from those things and begin moving in a different direction as a sign that we recognize how awful these things truly are. So this is dealing with evil. And those three things are all evil because God has said these things are sin. They're, they're things that, that, are, that are not good. They're evil. And so he deals with the evil by bearing that up into himself. And thereby the world is preserved in its existence. And his knowledge of him is preserved in this world because he allows those things not to completely pollute his world, but he does so by working to bear all of those things up into himself. There's no question this world is so much better because Jesus came into the world and takes away these things, and then he conveys power to his church to heal and to forgive. The two very things that are necessary to deal with the effect of sin in the world. And so we need more of his Holy Spirit. We need it to forgive. We need it to, to, to take away the sin of the world. Because that sin lies as a stain across this world. It lies as a stain across our lives. And, it, and it's our joy to be part of God's work in bearing away that sin. And we do so by proclaiming Jesus everywhere we go. We do it for the good of the individual, we do it for the glory of God, and we do it for the life of the world. Because as the world becomes more and more like Jesus, less and less evil is in the world and more and more good is released into the world through the power of his Holy Spirit living in the lives of believers. And so it's an important work that we do in proclaiming the gospel of forgiveness for sins in the person of Christ Jesus, who made a willing sacrifice of himself once offered on the cross at Calvary uh, over 2,000 years ago. 
in, in that way, the, 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 just, not just sin, but the effects of sin are taken out of the world, and, and the level of sin, the overall level of sin, is reduced as people become more and more like him and more and more filled with his Spirit. So it's important to know that God bears all these effects of sin away in order that we might live as new creations. And that's the goal of everything, is to become a new creation by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so he blows new breath into us and gives us a new spirit whereby we can now become better image bearers in the world and reduce the effects of sin in the world as we become more and more like him.